here and at home. <laughs> How's your week been? We good? Thumbs up or halfway? A lot of stuff going. I mean, just just to get through. So a lot of you don't know that we had a bit of a COVID scare over last weekend. We thought maybe we're going to have a mass pandemic here or something this week. But God's protective covering over our kids this week stopped all of that, and we were able to have a great time. There's always these little unknowns that could throw a real wrench in things, but we have a lot of prayer covering our weeks as well. And uh, I'm, not a, I'm not even, I haven't been told that anyone needed a Band-Aid even from the, uh, from the activities that we did. So it was a great, great week, and uh, lots going on in the world, and there's lots to be, I guess, frustrated about sometimes, or excited about, depending on your point of view. So I do want to have a moment, just a prayer to settle in, and uh, before we start into our message, and we're going to continue in our series on the minor prophets in, uh, today and next, next week as well. So let's take a moment just to pray. Father, the only reason we're here is because of you. You set aside a day, called it a Sabbath, and said, rest, enjoy, relax, seek you. We bring our worship today, Father, to you. We bring our tithes and our offerings. We bring ourselves as your people. And we long to meet with you. We long to have your spirit touch our heart and our mind and our very soul while we're in your presence and with your people. And I thank you for these people and all the efforts that went out just to share your love with uh, kids in our community and with their parents. And I pray, God, that every person that walks in these doors would sense your presence here, that they would sense that you love them and have a plan for their life. Father God, that you care about their situation. You care about the frustrations in their life and the... uh, The news maybe that they got this week that wasn't so pleasant to hear, you know about that. You've been watching. You've been with us. And for that, we thank you, Father. We thank you for your guidance and your grace in our life. We thank you for answering our prayers. We thank you for all the things you do behind the scenes we're not even aware of to protect us and guide us and help us. So as we enter into a time of teaching, I pray, Father, that you would open our ears and our eyes our hearts, our souls, to message that you want us to hear from your prophet, Zechariah. May what you said to the people so many thousands of years ago resonate with us today, because you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So this is the second last book of the, um, the Old Testament we're looking at, and we've looked at a dozen prophets already. And we call them the minor prophets because they don't have a lot of text. They're smaller, a couple of, some are one chapter, some are 14. And we distinguish between the major prophets who wrote like forever, like hundreds of chapters. No, not quite that much. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, like they had tons of stuff going on. They're the big hitters. And the, the, the minor prophets are the, the, the guys that come in to kind of clean up things and prepare for the coming Messiah. They all had a... A message that God wanted his people to hear. And so every prophet, pretty much, that we read in the, uh, in the section of the Bible that's where they pack all the prophets in, it starts with the word of the Lord came to. 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or to Isaiah or to Ezekiel and Daniel. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah and Haggai and Amos. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah just at the right time. So uh, this is, if you're new to the Bible, if you're not really familiar with, with the contents, there are 66 books. And they're written over a, a, a five, let's see, a 1,500-year period. There's at least 40 different authors. And uh, so uh, the, the interesting thing, though, is that they're all, 66 books are all connected. There's, a, there's this, a line of truth that goes through each one of them. And they all point to Jesus. They all point to the ultimate a gift of God for us, uh, the Messiah. He was sent to be a savior. Right at the very beginning, it talks about Adam and Eve, who kind of messed up, messed up for everybody, for all time. And so the answer to what happened in the Garden of Eden so many thousands of years ago is the Messiah to make things right. And so even Zechariah, written 500 years before Christ came, uh, he's the most quoted of the minor prophets re- regarding the, Jesus, the coming Messiah. And um, more, more New Testament people quote from Zechariah than any other of the minor prophets because there's so much about what the instructions were about the coming Christ. So uh, see if any of these prophecies ring a bell with you, if you've heard these before. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice, people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the colt of a donkey. You heard that before? We often talk about that at Christmas time, or sorry, at Easter time when Christ comes to Jerusalem before his crucifixion. Matthew records it happening 500 years after the prophecy was made in chapter 21. How about this? Zechariah chapter 11. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter and the lordly price which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. 30 pieces of silver, does that ring a bell? That's what was paid to Judas when he betrayed Christ. And it says he threw it at the feet of the people in the temple as well when he realized he had made a mistake. How about Zechariah 13, 6? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Matthew quotes this one. Jesus actually says this in the New Testament when they're talking about him being betrayed by his enemies and crucified. They figured if they can get rid of Jesus, then this whole movement thing about the Messiah would be ended. How about Zechariah chapter 10, verse 4, where it says God provides a cornerstone. Have you heard of the word cornerstone in Paul's writings? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, talks about Christ is the cornerstone. And what is a cornerstone? It kind of sets the direction for the entire foundation. It's the one that everyone sees. What about Zechariah chapter 12? I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. And please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. Well, Jesus' ancestor was David. He was the firstborn, and he was pierced in the side when he was on the cross. These, these hidden messages amongst the text, 500 years before the coming of the Messiah, are revelations to people who can see what God is trying to do 
uh, peppering uh, books throughout the Bible with information leading us and pointing us to a Messiah that was coming. And Zechariah 14 talks about living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. It says, the Lord will be king over all the earth. Do you remember a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar? He's asking for a drink of water. And uh, he tells this woman, you know, if you ask me, I would give you living waters flowing out, leading to eternity, uh, to everlasting life. And so uh, a lot of these things are pointing, even 500 years before the birth of Christ, pointing to this Messiah that was coming. It's a bit of a mystery. We didn't have all the facts, all the details, but we had enough to really get excited about what's going to happen. And there's going to be one more book. Let's see. Um, can we go back to that slide that has the chart? There we go. So we're right here. We're looking at Zechariah. We've got one fellow left, Malachi, who's going to wrap things up. And after Malachi, 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak again until John the Baptist shows up on the scene talking about repenting because the kingdom of heaven is coming. Well, there's other things in the book of Zechariah that I want to just point out along the way. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings trilogy? So anyone know how many black, um, black writers there were? The Nazgul, how many were there? Nine, very good. Um, these were evil, evil kind of horses. And there's another set of horses uh, in the, the New Testament that comes in the book of Revelation. And these are called the, the four horses of the apocalypse. Ugh, scary. So we have uh, four horses of the apocalypse. We've got nine horses, the Nazgul, that are out there causing wreaking havoc. Zechariah's got his own horses, but these are a different kind of horses. It's not actually four horses, but four chariots. And uh, where's my picture of my four horses? There we go. These are nice ones. They're not scary at all. In fact, these four uh, horses, that said red, white, black, um, and spotted. Uh, these horses are sent out from the presence of God, it says, to have a look around the earth, see how things are going. The angels are the spirits of God. It says here in Zechariah chapter 6, he says, The angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord and all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north. The white ones go after them. The dappled ones go to the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they went and patrolled the earth. Um, doesn't really say what they, what they accomplished. They were sent out to have a look around. In, in the first chapter of Zechariah, verse 8, it says that he had a vision of a valley with myrtle trees. He saw someone on a red horse with riders on red, brown, and white horses behind him. Maybe they're the same ones. He says, uh, tell me what these uh, represent. And the man standing there says, these are the ones the Lord has sent to find out what's happening on the earth. And the writer spoke to the Lord's angel who was standing among the myrtle trees. And he said, we have gone everywhere and have discovered that the whole world is at peace. Zechariah chapter 4. There's a bit of a theme here. Chapter 10, uh, verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things, it says. But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. He was the, the, the governor at the time. And these are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. 
I'm getting the picture and, and, uh, of, of God. He is sending his angels out or his forces out. Talked about the, the Lord of uh, the heaven's armies, uh, messengers that God has available to serve him, to do what he wants. He's constantly sending them out, having to look around. He wants to see what's going on amongst uh, mankind. He wants to see how you're doing. What, I, what this tells me, uh, some people believe that God is not involved at all. He's just kind of up there maybe knitting an afghan or something, having tea. Um, not really much engaged in humanity, but this says he's constantly surveying humanity. He's sending out his troops to see how things are going. He wants to know how you are, how he can help. He's, he's, he wants to know, are there wars? Are there rumors of wars? Are there, there's, there's unsettled things. Does he need to help out in any particular situation? He's waiting, actually, for us to call on him, to ask him to step in. Second Chronicles uh, 16, 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I like the fact that at least three times in this book of Zechariah, God is checking on his people. He's checking on the earth. He's not uninvolved. He's not uncaring. He's not ambivalent. He's actually engaged with humanity, seeking to figure out how it is that he can have an, an impact. Another thing that I read in Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 10, it talks about how he's going to help out Jerusalem. They're a bit of a disarray. If you know anything about the Middle East, Israel is in this, this, right in this spot where three continents join in. From Africa and Asia and Europe, they all join right there where Israel is. And so any major army, empire, always traveled through, wiping out everybody, uh, taking over towns and villages, plundering, and it's just from Egypt they would, from Persia they would, from Europe they would, the Romans, the Greeks, they all came through this area because it was a major thoroughfare for their troops. Israel was in constant disarray. There's lots of wars going on all the time, and just to protect his people was a major feat of God, so they weren't constantly wiped out. Well, there's a verse here in, in, in chapter 9, of ver, uh, verse 10, that says that he, um, he would cut off the chariot from Ephraim, one of the enemies, and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's where dominion caught the attention of, of um, Sir uh, Leonard Tilly. If you look up in... Google, have you ever Googled? <laughs> uh, Google uh, Canada as Dominion, and it will tell you that Sir Leonard uh, of New Brunswick in 1864, he was a part of the Fathers of Confederation. He was trying to decide, uh, how do we represent Canada? What do we call it? The Kingdom of Canada? The, the country of Canada? The, what are we actually going to be called? And he had been reading his Bible, and he came up with this word, this phrase, he will have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers and to the ends of the earth. He says, we need to be the dominion of Canada. And so even scripture spoke into the foundation of our nation. Um, and I, I like the story. He was actually reading Psalm 72, 8, which says exactly the same phrases as what we find in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 10. I want to move on to one other uh, thing that I found in this, this, this book of Zechariah because this verse uh, is very impactful. If you want to learn one verse out of the book of Zechariah, here's one you should learn. It's, 
represented by a family called the Goforth family, Jonathan and his wife Rosalind. Uh, in 1888, Jonathan and his wife decided that they needed to share the good news of the gospel with people in unreached areas of the world. So they actually went to China, uh, 1888. They suffered untold hardships. They actually lost five of their 11 children uh, who died. Uh, Lots of disease. They had all of their things taken away uh, numerous times. They escaped barely the Boxer Rebellion. Yet they came back to serve in China a second time. Even though they knew it was going to be a hard life. But they needed to serve the one who had called them. The one who gave his life for them, Jesus. And so they went to China and served there for a number of years, like 40 years. And they saw actually thousands of people come to Christ when accepting the good news of Jesus. Uh, And through them, um, also what was called the Manchurian Revival happened in in 1908. The revival broke out amongst all of the the Christians and uh, believers in the area, and the Goforths were right there in the middle of it. But despite all the hardships, despite the sacrifice, um, when they came back, someone says, "What, what, what kept you there? What was the secret of your amazing success. And they said, well, it's Zechariah 4.6. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And what this says is, it doesn't matter how hard we work. If God's not in it, it won't succeed. It's not about our gifts, our talents, our wisdom, our smarts. It's about us finding what God is up to and letting him work through us in a way that is beyond what we can actually do ourselves. God sees. God knows. God cares. He took care of the Goforth family uh, across the ocean. He led them there. He blessed them there. He made their uh, ministry fruitful. And he, the verse is, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God's spirit is powerful. Move on a couple of things that Zechariah says in in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1. It's probably one of the most important messages that he has for the entire book. He says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. I like that verse. It's a simple verse, but what it says is that we have a tendency to walk away from God. We have a tendency of going our own way, doing our own thing. And then oftentimes we find ourselves kind of stuck or in a bad place, and then we realize that we've been working on our own strength with our own wisdom and our own might without God. And then we turn to him, and he says, you know what, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you. I'd love to intervene. I'd love to help you out. I'd love to give you the wisdom that you need. Just call on me. Seek me, and you'll find me. I'm, I'm right here the whole time. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. There's another sequence of verses that I want to pick up before I, I wrap up this message. Zechariah chapter 9. I like this sequence. This is uh, another a section where God is saying, I'm going to save my people. I know you've had a rough time. I know you've been uh, involved in wars. I, uh, there had been the Babylonians that actually come in and, 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 and took all the people away to Babylon in exile for 70 years. And they were filtering back now to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple. He says, I know you've had it hard. But he says... Zechariah 9.14, the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. 
The Lord of hosts will protect them. And on that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. Or for like the jewels of a crown, they will, be, they will shine in his land. God is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be the, the guy that you need. I'm going to be your, your answer to your questions. I'm going to be there for you. You're not going to be harassed anymore by your enemies. I'm going to deal with all of your enemies. But I like the progression here. If you notice with me, it starts off with the Lord will appear. And then he adds, the Lord God will sound the trumpet. Then he says, the Lord of hosts. Um, more descriptive. And then it says, the Lord their God. I notice this because it, 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 you don't see this progression very often in, in verses like this. It's saying that there's kind of the Lord in general, <laughs> the, Lord, um, the Lord God, the one, the one you've heard about, kind of, or the Lord of hosts who, who is in charge of heaven's armies, who can call a legion of angels at his, at his command and, and have them carry out his will. But then it ends up with the Lord their God. It personalizes it. Now, there's ownership here. And I think sometimes we talk about in our own life, there's a God out there. I know there's a God out there. I pray to him every once in a while. Doesn't always answer me, but, you know, you got to try. But the, the more you spend time with this God, the more you spend time with the one who's actually holding out his hands to us, the more you come into his presence, the more you realize that he loves you. And that he cares about you and your family and what you're going through. And he wants to be a part of your life. And it's like, it's not just God, it's, it's my God. I, he loves me, not just for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But because God loved me, he sent his son. It's not just generic God. In Zechariah 13, 9, it says, They will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, it's my people, it's my people. And they will say, Jehovah is my God. He cares about me. He cares about your kid. So this last uh, week, my, my parents, um, I don't have this in my notes, so I hope I'll try and get through this, but they've both been in and out of the hospital down near Atlanta, Georgia, about four times each in the last week and a half. And I don't know if I'm going down tomorrow for a double funeral or if I'm going down to say goodbye for the last time. But in any case, my wife and daughter come back from Atlanta today, and my sons and I go down tomorrow. We're tag-teaming. Going to spend nights in the ho uh, hospital with them if I need to. Going to help them move out of their place to an uh, assisted care nursing facility. I don't know. But my parents, all their life, have said, that's my God. I talk to him all the time. I don't often tell you this, but my mom talks to God through her vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the truth is, while she's vacuuming, she's praying for her kids, praying for her grandkids, praying for her great-grandkids, praying for her sons and her daughter, that we would be safe, that God would protect us, that God would lead us and guide us. And you know, he has. And now that my parents' life are kind of wrapping up, and all their life they have served the Lord, they've been faithful, and God is, is bringing their life to a close, I know, I, know, I kind of want a double funeral because I want them to go into glory together, hand in hand, to see the Lord that they've been worshiping and singing songs to for the, their whole life. They've been in, overseas uh, to a hundred different countries over their lifetime, sharing the good news and encouraging God's people. Now it's their 
their time to move on to the next part of their glory, the next part of their life. They will call on my name and I will answer. And I will say, it's my people. And they will say, Jehovah is my God. And Zechariah 2.5 says, I will be a wall of fire around them. I will be the glory in their midst. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. He's with us. And I truly hope and I have prayed that every time people come into this place, they sense his presence. The Spirit of God is alive and well. It's not just some myth, not some fable, not some hope and, 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 and dream that God exists, but he actually is here. And he wants to be a part of your life. And that's why we have Kids Camp, is to introduce kids early to the idea that God loves them and has a plan for their life. I don't often quote Mark Twain, but uh, he is reported to have said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I can tell you the why is directly related to God's relationship with you. The why you were born can only truly be found when answered in a relationship with the God who loves you, with Jesus who died for you and says, I, I've got a plan for your life. You're not here by accident. So what does this obscure prophet have to do with us? Zechariah. I call him Zach. First of all, we do have a tendency to wander away from God. We have a tendency to want to do things our own way. We don't want to include him in our plans. We don't want him to mess up things that we've got planned, not realizing that he actually knows what's best. He already knows the future. He knows what's going on. He knows the economic situation. He knows the housing market. He knows the future, the past and the present. For us, not in including him is a stupid, stupid thing. You're on your own. I hope you're really, really smart. But I know that nobody could predict what we're going through even right now. Just because they don't know, but someone does, and it's God. So he calls us to return to him because he truly loves us, and he has the best future in mind. Second, I think every person was created with a purpose. Do you know what yours is? Have you asked God, God, why am I here? What is it you have for me? What is your plan for me and my family, for my, my career, for, for my business? What is it you want to do to make a difference in this world? And every person has an opportunity to become a partner with God in accomplishing his will during our lifetime. Jeremiah 33, another one of the big prophets, he says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you don't know. Call to him and he's going to show you what you don't know. He's going to reveal to you things that are going to be coming down the road that you need to know about and be prepared for even now. The third thing is that Jesus is in the midst of it all. Like he's the reason uh, why we have church. He's the reason why we can call to God because he made a way. He's the mediator. He's the, the go-between us and God. And through him, we have access to God if we believe in him, if we surrender to him. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sin. He's the one who rose from the dead after three days, as he promised. So if we believe in him and place our lives in his hands, we do have eternal life. And we can have the, the abundant life he's promised us. Do you need peace? He's got you covered. Do you need direction? Yeah, he, he knows where you need to go. Do you need love? 
Well, he died to show you just how much he loved you. And he said, it's finished. I can't give you any more than everything. And then he made a way for you to be with him for eternity. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads as I conclude this message about Zechariah and the messages that he has. Because I know that there's some people here today that don't feel very loved. They don't think that God really sees them or knows what's going on in their life. They don't think that he hears their cry in the middle of the night, in the darkness, when they're asking themselves, is it worth going on to tomorrow? They don't think he cares. I can tell you today, he does. He sees you. He sees you when you're crying out. He sees when you feel alone. He says, I love you so much. I gave you my son. And if you believe in him, he will come in and be with you. And you can be with him forever. Others of you have difficult decisions you're going to face, and you're going to be making them on your own. Because that's maybe how you've always done it. How about giving God a chance this time? How about stopping before your decision, going down... Bending down on your knees with your husband or your wife and your kids and saying, let's pray about this. That's a big decision. We need to include God. He needs to guide us in this. Some of you have never heard about Jesus dying on a cross. Some of you don't realize that he has a gift to give to you. He reaches out with the gift of eternal life says, if you want to believe in my son, you take this gift. It's yours. And I will come and live with you forever and be your God. And then you can say, I got my God. I got a God who loves me and cares for me. Father God, these people have come today for different kinds of reasons, but I pray, Father, that they've all met you. That maybe they see something different about you today they didn't know before. That maybe they needed to return to you. Maybe they've strayed. And maybe they're ready to go and just don't know where. They don't know what you want from them. Father, reveal that to them. Open their eyes to see what it is that you have planned for them and their family. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that they would seek you and search for you with all their heart, and you would be found by them. They would be your people. You would be their God. And together we rejoice in the amazing things you're going to do through this church in the days to come. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.